Hey, let's just cut to the point. I'm going to ask you a question. What's your favorite F word? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Terry Summers Podcast. What the? Did you think I was going to say it? (laughs) No, 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 not usually. That is not um, the, the prominent F word. Uh, in our society is not one that I use. Um, I'm not going to say it's never come to my uh, lips, but really very, very rare, if ever. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, just lots of reasons for that. I just wasn't very, I'm just not very fond of of saying it. I have a difficult time saying it. Um, But there are other really powerful F words and you know i am all about exploring um twists and turns on the typical so i kind of like did a little bit of a tease with you at the onset of this about asking you what your favorite f word was but i found that from this podcast episode there truly were f words that came up and um it was something that just kind of resonated with me that as 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 prominent as the famous infamous f word is these are pretty prominent and one of the f words was the impetus for this episode the f word being forgiveness and I have also another F word that is woven into this episode, and it is friend. And this particular friend is super unique in my meeting of them. Not so unique. I'll, I'll dial back on that. We met through social media, but we've never really met yet. The, the, um, the friendship is substantiated by really um, deep exchanges and uh, laughter. This um, friend um, who spoke of forgiveness is also another F word, funny. And that is another reason we connected. But because of a post that he made about forgiving ourselves. Yeah, I don't know, kind of gripped me. Um, I've been wanting to have um, this gentleman on for a good while. We just haven't been able to make that happen up, up until now. But I think it was timely, particularly because of his post and his exploration of the idea of forgiving ourselves being difficult, maybe one of the hardest things ever. And I'm not sure I'm quoting him, but um, I just finally reached out to him and said, hey, can we talk about that? I just bet that this audience and, and, and most everyone has a question about, can I forgive myself? How do I forgive myself? What is that forgiveness about? What does it look like? We talk about a lot of other things too. Um, all having to do basically with F words. So um, I maybe I, I appropriately titled 
um, this episode uh, in and around the term of your favorite F word. Hang on. This guy is something else. Super smart and um, just a, a, a really uh, provocative thinker. And uh, without for any further ado, um, I love saying that, by the way, there's an airplane, there's a jet flying over right now. So if I sound like I'm in an airport, I'm not, but close. Also, there is a bee in my office that is making a lot of noise. Um, if you can hear it, just know I'm in danger. So here is my uh, good friend, Chaz Hines. Okay. I for real have chill bumps all over because as we just said before I press the record button, I am so excited to have you here. And okay, now I'm going to get emotional. I, I, I'm such Very an emotional person. So my nose just got red and my eyes got a little bit weird and misty and my face got hot. But so I have with me, as I shared with everyone, Chaz, this is Chaz Hines. And when it, for, I think the reason I'm so tickled over this is this is publicly sharing about one of the most unique developments of a friendship, maybe the most unique development of a friendship that I've ever had that has really blessed my socks off. Um, I have a memory that somewhere pre or around when the Oprah Winfrey stuff and my audience kind of loosely knows about that just because I've talked about it a little bit happens here in the Valley. Chaz, you live here in Arizona that somehow, some way we became Facebook friends um, and, and met through social media. A am I kind of right on that one? Do I kind of yeah, remember that? Yeah, I'm pretty certain it was it was as that unfolded. Okay. And I don't know, it's, you know, it's so far back, like in the, uh, the history of Facebook and all the different things. Right. That they right. To do. But I think, I think you were a suggested friend. I don't remember scrolling or maybe they would like, maybe they would, they would plaster your screen with local people. Cause I think we lived really close in good. Yeah. Years. So I think yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it was. They would yeah. give you people like in your town. Yeah. So I, I think I saw your name and I was like, that's some weird spelling of Terry. So that was kind of <laughs> like the first thing that I saw. And then I don't know, somehow I saw like your that you were on Oprah. And like I have a history. I have like a really, really indirect history with Oprah, with the Oprah show. It's it's so indirect, it's not even worth mentioning. But so I was just taken with that. So I started watching and I was like, who is this? And you know, I had been an actor years ago. Uh or want to be actor, I guess. So I don't know. I was just like, wow, like there's people like that here in Arizona. Because at that time, what, what year was that? Was that like um, 10 or something, 11? Seven, yeah, exactly. Good memory. So I hadn't been here, but just a few years. So I watched that and I was like, really taken with like your personality. I was almost thinking like, is this person real? Like it was really like that. And then soon after, so I think I sent you a friend request. Mm-hmm that you accepted but we hadn't we hadn't corresponded and then you launched i think it was called the terry show uh terry takes it all off 
Oh, I don't think I'll go all that way. But uh, <laughs> I don't think. I, <laughs> are you sure you want to talk about that on this podcast? <laughs> no, it was the show. It was, but it was about. It was in a hick in the gap between what was going on with Oprah, which was so secretive and all that stuff, and yeah. me actually letting people know. So it was a little show I did about deal, uh, approaching my weight loss. So it was oh. takes it all off in a provocative sense, but meaning takes it oh, off. I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, you know what? The funny thing is I just have like really vivid, specific memories of like you, a basketball court. Uh-huh. Brother, like you did a show like with your brother. That was the one. So I don't know. I, so I just kind of like fell in love with like this really quirky, you're like, you were like super quirky. And then I would always look for you to break character. But you just like struck me as like very, very like genuine and authentic, which it sounds so corny, but I don't know. Most people, it seems to me, are like really living out this weird facade of a life, like where they try to create this, this genuine character, like, like they're at a job interview all the time. And I've realized that, that you are this person. So I think I actually sent you a message of some sort. Yes. But I don't think you answered it immediately. I think it was a while before you answered it. I don't, I, I don't remember, but I, you know, cause it was kind of a crazy time, but I know that I did respond, but then I started seeing your posts and I want to, I know you've been so kind to say, you know, warm things about me. I, I, I like that you thought that I was genuine because I do think that I do think I am. And I know what you mean about kind of being in a job interview. I, I'm always kind of, not sure that I'm really like, anyway, I don't need to, uh, this is about you, but you've hit the nail on the head with me that way. And it sounds like, oh yes, I'm genuine. But I think you see that, that genuine, even in the middle of my crap and my pain and my thighs that shimmy and, you know, all of that stuff. But I, I know that I started watching you watching your Facebook stuff and um, you were very funny. And if there is, if there's something that catches my attention, it is humor. Clearly I'm probably not alone in this world in that, but then it was a little bit more than just humor. It was like smart humor and well put together and so then I was hooked I mean it was literally like the line uh, you know fish gets hooked in the cheek I was hooked um you haven't you know you had an edge to you and I also like that too but then right with it all was this honest talk and um it can't it comes out in a way that is a part of you that I don't have about me, um, in your, um, I don't know, graphicness. I think sometimes you're, <laughs> is that a good way to say it? Like there, I, I think you have your, it's provocative and, um, but it's always super honest. And so 
I would comment on things. And then you kind of started getting me a little bit. I laughed so hard. I was telling my friend today that I was having a podcast with you. And, um, and I was sort of explaining this friendship because we've never, we've never really sat across from each other. And here we live right in the same, whatever, that's got to change. You don't know my people. I don't know your people. We got to make this happen. But I have my people call your people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I know that you, I told her, I said, you know, uh, us light-skinned folk, um, you would find, and I hope you, you aren't mad that I say this, but you would find some of the craziest stuff that, um, that white animals, the animals, that's what we that white men, usually you. white people would do. Like they would stick right. their head in a lion's mouth or right. they'd wrestle and you would just say, Terry Summers, you tagged me with a question. That would become our thing. I'd be like, explain your people. What are your people doing? Why do they put themselves in danger like that? And then I started like becoming like, wow. (laughs) Why do what's going on here? But that was hilarious. Um, then we, you know, we've had a chance to exchange some stuff that is just. soul piercing and if there isn't a recipe for me out there this would be really close that some way of making people laugh and then when the guard is down from opening up because that's what laughter does you know it, it brings us together and it opens us up i used to imagine lit, being from california which you are too um the earthquakes that i would experience growing up though i kind of like them as long as they didn't hurt anybody i really kind of like when the earth does something the roller coaster, yeah totally but the earthquakes i would imagine laughter like that that I mean, it's a tragic image in some ways, but I, I wasn't thinking it that way. But when the earth, when when our bodies quake from laughing, it tumbles the walls. The walls come loose. The bricks fall off, and there's this exposed little sweet person uh, in there. And that is a time then when I think delivering something to someone, whether it's intentional or not, that is, that goes to the heart, that's human. Um, and you do that. And I thought all, you know, as soon as I started the podcast, I thought I got to have him on. And you and I talked a little bit. And then of course there were things that, that happened and we didn't get to do that. And it probably all fell in my court. I will take the blame for that. Right. But I just recently saw something, um, Before I go into that, I want to say I am also your cheerleader because I know, I know you said that you've, you know, you dabbled in, in the creative arts and, and in acting when you were younger and theater and what have you. And, but you have a writer's mind, you're comedic and you get story. So somehow, some way you're going to have a place there if you want it. 
And I'm your cheerleader for that. And we could talk about that anytime you want to or not, but I don't want to get too far down the road in this conversation without saying that, and I so am not blowing smoke. I know I can be an encouraging person and I would never tell someone a lie, never, ever, but I also find the good in people to encourage. And so that's a given, but this is more than that, that I really feel like when you, when you uh, connect with someone with talent, it's, you know, you, you don't have to make anything up or you don't have to cheerlead. I am one, but I, you know, I don't have to, it's there. So I, I know that that's something about your, our connection. And I'm doing a lot of talking right now and this is supposed to be about you. So let me get to something. I know that you um, made a post or posted something um, that just, I sounded so like someone who's not on social media. He made a post. He posted, yeah, he no, made no, a fake. <laughs> when you put the in front of it. <laughs> you got the AIDS. Yeah, yeah, I posted it. <laughs> um, but you said in, in effect that it, it uh, wow, it, uh, it's hard to forgive yourself. Yeah, I think I said forgiving yourself might be the hardest thing to do in the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I should have left it to you. Um, And there's so many things that you do say that are just so truthful. Um, But because of the timing of knowing I hadn't had you on yet and that catching me and it resonated with me so strongly, as do so many things that you've said, I thought, you know what, that is something I want to dive into with you. Um, Give me a thumbnail of who you are before you launch into that, because I I want you to get to tell who you are. I've told who I think you are in pieces, but who are you in a thumbnail before you launch in? It doesn't have to be a thumbnail. The whole rest of the day could be about that. I just want to get to that post that you had. Okay, uh, let me see if I can get us there in a really, really condensed manner. Um, so I was born in San Diego, California, um, 1974. Uh, my parents bought a home. First of all, my parents are from two totally different worlds. They're black, both of them. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, two black people. Um, so my mother is originally from New Jersey. Okay. From Trenton, New Jersey, and my father is from Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. So you really couldn't get any further apart when it comes to like mainstream America and then specifically quote unquote black America. And then at that time, uh, when you talk about the migration from the South to the North and then the differences, if you will, even within uh, black culture uh, regionally. So, and my parents are, they're like polar opposites. My mother comes from a family. She had 10 brothers and sisters. There's a biophysicist uncle. And, oh yeah, yeah. Like my, my, my mother's brothers and sisters are all college educated. She's the only one that isn't. She ran as far as she could all the way to San Diego, California. She said, I ran until there was water. But um, so she comes from that kind of super educated family. While my father comes from, a polar opposite kind of existence. So these two converge, you know, mid 60s, some point, fall in love and 
73, she's pregnant and they buy a small home in what was probably at that time, like a cute little community in Southern California. But by the, uh, by the eighties, we have crack, um, gang started mid eighties. So I grew up in what became the hood, like became, you know, the inner city. And, uh, I'm sure all your listeners know they can kind of picture that, you know, even from cinema. They don't, if they have never been there, you could watch certain movies like uh, Boys in the Hood or Colors, you know, the depiction is fairly accurate about like what it was like to grow up in those kind of places. What really, really helped me become who I became that my mother took advantage of the magnet school uh, that we had there, that situation. And I was bust out of my neighborhood and went to elementary school out by the beach. So while crack was festering in the neighborhood and gangs, you know, were really starting to ramp up, I was out, you know, hanging out with with friends that, you know, belong to yacht clubs. And you know what I'm saying? I was really developing differently than a lot of my, uh, I don't even know if they were really my friends. I really didn't have too many friends in my neighborhood. I, I was I was a little bit different in that most of them didn't have a father in the house. And, and I don't know, I just didn't seem to have a lot in common. I would play with them, you know, when I had a chance, but I really, we were really different. Um, so I ended up going to the Spanish magnet, right? So I learned Spanish. So I was bilingual by the time I was in first grade. Well, I and, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I just... I saw the world differently, you know, I, I, I don't know that a lot of my, my uh, counterparts from the neighborhood, I don't know that they even really traveled out of the neighborhood. That's, that's kind of one of the pitfalls of growing up like that. Like you don't really leave the confines of the neighborhood, but I did. And so I knew at, at a young age that there was a larger world than, I grew up in what is Southeast San Diego. So I, I knew that there was more than Southeast San Diego. So I graduated from elementary school but now, ironically, I come back and I go to junior high school. <laughs> now, I went to, and because of the magnet school program, they had a reverse type of situation. So I went to a science and computer magnet at first in the seventh grade. And what they would do is they would bust in kids from the kind of neighborhood I went to elementary school with. They would bust them in to the hood where they had this science and computer magnet. Right. So they were really they were busting us out and busting them. <laughs> but the irony is on campus, we never saw those kids. Those kids were sequestered off. They kind of like had the school separated and those school, those kids were sequestered in a certain part of the school. So it was a disingenuous effort at, at, at a certain level. But so now I'm kind of hit with this weird culture shock, like in my own neighborhood. Right. Because this is the point where. Crips and blood, like this is where it really hit. And um, I didn't get wrapped up in gangs because I did have a father and there really is the truth about finding family. I had a family, so I didn't need that. But I did get, I did get kind of like wrapped up into some of the pitfalls of the streets, if you will. So, you know, I, I did certain things. I won't chronicle all the crimes that I might've committed, but let's just say that I could have easily been in prison. Many okay. But I always worked and I always was a genuinely good kid. So people didn't know this, right? Like this is, this is a duality that I've been. 
Um, I did graduate high school. I, I actually couldn't find the diploma, but I remember walking. So let's presume I graduated. Uh, I went to college for a year. I flunked out of college. Um, now, meanwhile, if you go back, I was a part of junior theater. So, you know, where Whoopi Goldberg comes out of the gold, the right. Globe theater. Right. I, I was, I started taking drama classes. I, I believe I was six. Um, I ended up transferring from the science computer magnet in the ninth grade. And I went to the school of creative and performing arts. So I, right, right. So I went to school, like there's a few folks that uh, are still in the industry now. Young lady, I think Grey's Anatomy. I went to school with Ananda Lewis, if, if you're familiar with her. We were good friends in school. Uh, Mario Lopez went to, there was an opposing SEPA in the South Bay, you know, a little bit south of us, like our sister school. Mario went to that school. Um, so I did go to school with a few people. That, you know, and more people probably are behind the camera and in other facets of the industry I went to school with. Um, but ultimately, I, I kind of began this life of mediocrity. Like I would get involved with things, you know, the acting. I was doing stand-up. I've done stand-up with a lot of fairly mentionable comics um, that are at least working comics. Um, I did a couple shows with Nick Cannon when, when he was still young. Um, I actually managed to get on a, uh, on a sitcom uh, late 90s. I think it was in 97 or 98. I was on the Army show on the WB. Okay. And... Uh, it was 9.30 on a Sunday, you know, where a sitcom goes to die. So it never, <laughs> it was a horrible show. Uh, but uh, I actually played basketball. I don't think I ever told you this. Ever tell you about this? No. So we're filming for two days. And on the second day, uh, I didn't have to be in any scenes for a long time. And as you well know, you could probably easier get into the White House, right? Than you could on a, on a studio lot. But once you get on, you're on, right? Like once you, once they okay you on, like you go everywhere. So I went walking around in and out of sound stages. And at some point I ended up in this sound stage that looked like a hospital. And I walked down the aisle and there's, they're eating lunch, all these atmosphere, you know, on the side and all kind of makeup eating. And I walk out the other end of the sound stage and a black guy is there smoking a cigarette and he turns and it's, it's Eric LaSalle. And he says, what's up to me? I said, hey, what's up? And then there's a guy shooting baskets. They've got this basketball goal kind of just like tacked up against the side of the soundstage. This guy's shooting baskets. And I, I'm kind of just watching him. And then he's like, hey, think quick. And he throws me the ball. And it's Clooney. This is like 97. Get ER. out. No, I'm serious. And we like shoot around for like minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I saw how like those deals in Hollywood started. You know, two guys in like $10,000 suits walk up to him and then he throws me the ball and he talks to him, you know, and I, and I, and I really got to see like how innocently deals start in Hollywood. But after that, like that was my pinnacle, like that was my run. And then I just started making really silly choices, probably limiting myself. I think I've always had um, a lot of self-doubt that goes back to my childhood. It's a really specific reason why I might get to a certain height and then I purposely sabotage things mm. or I at least make decisions that are absolutely that have like blinking lights all over them that say self-sabotage but I don't see them until afterwards and, what, and then I have to like hide that 
so um, is this like, obviously it's a hindsight looking and evaluating kind of fact gathering about that, right? I mean, uh, that, that was there anything, has it, has it been cumulative that you kind of landed on this or was there a moment when you went, oh, wow, I do this? Uh, you know, there was something that happened to me when I was about 10. I was always like really, really intelligent seeming, if you will. So people would, you know, kind of rally around me and be like, oh my goodness, he's so smart. And then what I realized when I was 10 is when people have this expectation of you, and then you make one blunder, like one mistake, people love to pounce. Now, I think the real measure of a person is how, is how they react when that happens. But that happened to me at a young age and I reacted horribly, like I was devastated. And I remember thinking when I was 10, I don't want people to think I'm smart. I you would want rather- want people to think you're smart? No, okay. I, didn't I didn't want people, I didn't want people having expectations of me that I would then later have to like bear their scrutiny because somehow my one blunder made me not as smart, which probably looking back, maybe it wasn't so bad, but I remember internalizing that and even if you look at my facebook posts look how old we are like we're not even on instagram or snapchat or, but even if you look at my social media posts you notice i might post something that's insightful enough but then i'll post seven or ten things that would have the average person cringing and running almost as if i'm doing it on purpose it's like i'm oh, trying are you doing it on purpose i well am i i guess it, it's like i'm self-sabotaging it's like, I don't want you to think I'm too smart. Like, don't think that this last really insightful post, like I'm not that smart. And then I'll do like seven or 10 posts that are like really just risque and tasteless. So I don't know, you tell me like, I, and why do I do it? I don't even know. I don't even know what comes over me, but I'll just do it. It's almost like I'm in like some kind of a blackout. And I, you know, my best friend, like my mentor, he says, you know, you have really, you have really good things to say. He says, I, I just fear that you're losing people with this unnecessary, uh, you know, darkness. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what it is. It's something that I, I'm trying to shake. I'm trying to figure out why do I need to lead with that? You know, so that, I guess it has a lot to do with how I came up. I mean, I came up in a neighborhood where I didn't mention this. Like, you know, most of the guys I grew up with are dead. Dead? Yeah, they're dead or they're in prison. There's a little bit of a sound issue again. I just want to make sure that's why I, I, I repeated a couple of things you said. Is that better? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there's a lot of, and it continues to be uh, a lot of murders um, where I grew up. So um, you had to kind of, you couldn't leave with your heart, right? You get taught. If you, if you listen to a lot of, if you listen to hip hop music, there's a lot of truth in hip hop music, right? There's a lot of BS in hip hop music as far as the imparters of this truth and their actual uh, experience, but they're imparting reality. And when you listen to a lot of the music, it's, it's a lot of fear. We grew up in like a lot of fear. The misogyny is a part of the fear. Um, the violence is a result of the fear. So 
I partook in a lot of the misogyny, a lot of uh, a lot of fear-based behavior because of having grown up in a situation where you didn't know, like you didn't think about, you know, you didn't know you're going to be 18. A lot of people didn't make 18. I never thought about being 25 years old. That seemed almost improbable or far away, you know, when you're running around. Once I left my elementary school and now I'm in my neighborhood every day, like, you know, carrying guns, you're getting guns pulled on you. You're, you're, you know, I saw my first murder when I was nine. Oh, first time I saw somebody get killed, I was nine years old. Now, it didn't really have an effect on me. Like, it didn't have, like, a really deep psychological effect topically, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. it just was, it kind of was like nothing. But I remember it. And subsequently, I mean, I've seen a bunch of them. And I have, you know, a bunch of friends that got killed. So I I think it causes me to just put this wall up so that people don't really know me I was gonna and that say, they don't really have expectations of me. I got it. I, I was going to ask that or, 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 or inquire or pose that um, if it was a form of protecting. Um, and, be, you know, I, one of the things that came to mind while I was listening to you talk, if, if this um, heart of who you are so full of intelligence and then the part of you who's very skilled at still throwing people off, I guess, let's say, or whatever it was that your mentor was inferring, if the two were to wrestle this out, who would win? I don't know. You know, I've worked in prison now for 15 years. So tell us about that a little bit, because I, I, would will have not shared that up to this point with anyone. Well, I was an officer for 14 years and I worked on some of the worst yards, the worst yards in Arizona. And um, to include, I worked in women's prison on death row and special management where Jody Arias is. I, I missed her. I left prior to that. I was only there for about two years, but I left about six months before she hit the yard that I worked. Got it. But, um, be it men or women's, and when you're working, you know, on a high-powered yard, uh, you know, at a high custody level, or a mental health, um, you know, the funny thing is, I love prison. People don't understand. I love prison. Prison is such a controlled environment, and because of the type of yards that I work, I love it. I drew from the things that I learned growing up, right? So pr- I was like tailor-made for prison. So I don't know, it would really be hard for me to say who would win right now because I still have a few more years, even though my role has changed, thank goodness, I go into prison as something totally different than I have before and it's enriching, but I'm still going into that, into that small world where it's nothing like the outside, where something small on the inside that on the, you know, in the bigger world, you know, somebody bumps into you in the mall and looks at you like you're crazy you probably won't see that person again. But in prison, that can result in a murder, you know, if if things aren't handled properly. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'm very comfortable with that. Mm. And you kind of have to present yourself. No, I'm me in prison. I'm me. Yet, there's this constant, this constant facade. There's this constant tap dance. This constant adrenaline-fueled game that's going on. I'm just very good at it. 
And I don't know, like, I don't, I think maybe in you, Terry, I see something that I don't, that I don't have, that consistency of character, right? Like, maybe that's why I'm able to recognize it, and I'm kind of intrigued by it. So right now, I don't think that either one of them, man, I think I'm going to live with that nuance for a little bit while more, right? Maybe after prison, maybe I can begin to, you know, to become just one chess. Because go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. The one I'm just I'm just assimilating it. The Mm -hmm. one side of you is getting nourished and exercised a lot in in that environment. So they're both very healthy parts of you, is what you're saying. No. No. The one isn't healthy. The one the the one side is and I mean by healthy, I mean like sturdy, like us like a like you know what I mean? Like there isn't a weaker one right now. No, no, they're both equally as strong. But I think that I would rather be a person who feels and a person who's who's genuine and a person who's vulnerable at this point in my life mm-hmm. than a person who is almost like a uh, pleasant sociopath, which is what I call myself. A what? A pleasant sociopath. A pleasant? <laughs> Yes, like I'm one of your more pleasant. I'm one of your more palatable sociopaths. <laughs> See, people, stop for a minute. This is what I'm talking about. This is what this is why I never scroll past any of your posts is because I know I would kick myself to miss out on those those little things. One, they do make me laugh, but they're also so uh poignant and uh, provocative and hit the nail on the head in the way that I get what you're trying to express. I'm not saying I can, I can concur that that's true, but just the way that you communicate is so, <laughs> it's excellent. I don't know how else even to, to couch it. How else do you couch somebody who you know, lives in these extremes, these dualities? trialities of I don't know if that's the word but today like, I, I don't today. know how else to couch it I, I I'm like an emotional sociopath but I think I'm pleasant enough to be around so you know I'm not <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer at this point you know what I'm saying but one of one of those is really serving you as you sort of uh dissected or a little bit gave us a peek into that you must have um, some fear, like we all do, I think, but it, it can be sourced from different places, but that it's serving you. It is, it's a, it's a mechanism that you have learned to depend on. And it's a survival tool. Let's be for real. It's a survival tool. It has been in, you know, my, my childhood, my adolescence, and in my professional life, but it's killing me. It has not served me well. Okay. Yes. And I don't see where it would serve me. Right. No. Well, here's where, here's where, um, I connected, I think, unknowingly in some ways, because we are, our, our exchanges have been pretty limited to a certain lane uh social media with an exception of when we made a connection in hopes to 
do something together and, and talk about a podcast. But um, when I saw the post about forgiving yourself, and I am someone who will air some things out, but doesn't mean it always comes easy for me, but I just knew right away that there's so much unforgiveness. Here come the misty eyes. Just roll with it. I believe you can. Um, The so much unforgiveness for my self. And I resonated right away, resonated. I mean, resonated sounds like this this artsy fartsy explanation, but I mean, I latched onto that um, so strongly. But lying underneath that is this connection that I don't know that I could have pinpointed, but I know that there are people listening, probably more than not, that are going to go bing, 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 bing with this, that... When I say mechanism, because I have my own that has robbed me of all I know I am, but afraid of letting it have a place. And even though I look at that with such regret, and wonder why I'm a really bright person, you know? So I get one plus one equals two. Why do I allow that mechanisms to still run me? And meaning power me be my survival, uh, what'd you call it? Survival, whatever. It's, it's really step. It's sat in that space to help me survive, so to speak. And, and from very different places than you, I'm not trying to say, Oh, I get you. I get you, but I get you in, in my own way. So when you wrote, help me out here, because I know I've been hanging, um, waiting to ask this question when you wrote that about it being the maybe the most difficult thing in the world to do is to forgive yourself however you said it um what tell me what if you feel comfortable doing that um tell me what you were revealing there Uh, (laughs) that has to do with me and my uh, probably four years long now, I'm gonna use the word journey, to to try to change, to first understand and then come to grips with and then change specifically who I am, the the kind of man that I am um, in relation to women and specifically my relationship, my marriage. So someone prior to that post had DM'd me and it had to do with another post. And I had made probably two or three just out of the blue, for lack of a better term, heartfelt posts. And I'm not, I typically don't do that, but 
I don't know exactly what I was going through. And uh, someone was DMing me really, really random. And they were like, you need to stop being so hard on yourself. You know, everybody's always got this advice. And I don't know how qualified they are. And I, matter of fact, I question even if their advice is, is valid advice, if it's sound, or if they really need to be actually doing what I'm doing. You know, because everybody wants to be so perfectly imperfect and all this new. I don't subscribe to that. I was the worst husband in the world. You pick a matrix and I was like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I represented that. Okay. When you finally begin to unpack who you were, what you were, what you did, what you thought, why did you think it? It took me about a good year and a half to even begin to do that after we separated. Subsequently, we divorced. I began this mental Olympics of trying to figure out why did I think the things that I thought about women? Why did I act the way I acted? So it began to finally, I like did a psychoanalysis on myself. Terry, I'm gonna tell you, the only reason that this worked or be, is working potentially is because of falling into a depression. And I'm telling you, I didn't know I was depressed at first, but when I began to drive on the freeway and have those, what is it all about thoughts? And when you begin to understand what it is that you've done, because we could all, I guess, empathize. We could look at people around us, we could listen to our spouses or ex-spouse and you know on a surface level we could know we hurt them but when you really begin to understand what it is that you've done when you really begin to understand what it is that you've caused i don't like i've never known regret and i've never known guilt I never had it, specifically when it came to my relationships with women. I didn't experience any of that till I was in my early 40s. And I'm gonna tell you, I didn't know how to make the pain stop. And I didn't know how to deal with the pain. And I never felt suicidal, but I know what thoughts someone that eventually might go on commits. So I know the kind of thoughts that they must have. Luckily for me, I had somebody and I, and I utilized that person. And um, I, I don't know, the more you start going down that rabbit hole, the more guilt you have. And I don't see how you can. And the more self-blame you have. And even when that person forgives you, Terry, I don't know I don't know how to forgive myself and I don't know if I want to forgive myself. I don't know if forgiving myself and moving on, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's adequate. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's plausible. I don't know if forgiving myself is not just going to invite a cycle to repeat. Hmm. I don't know if I really deserve forgiveness. I don't even know what that really means. I know what it means when we say we forgive someone. I don't even know if forgiveness is real. I don't even know if that's just 
conceptually possible. Hmm. So that's what, that's what prompted it. Like it must be, or might be the hardest thing in the world because uh, I could probably soon practice this notion of forgiveness on someone else. I'm sure it's easier for my ex-wife to mm. forgive me mm. than it is for me to forgive myself. Mm. And I hope I'm not being presumptuous, but I, at, at this point, I, I can't. And every day, every week, I'm like figuring out something new that I did or, or, or figuring out some nuance of some new nuance or, or level of something that I did and how, how it's affected her and how it's affected, you know, my kid, you know what I'm saying? And then you look at these relationships and you think to yourself, like you could have irreparably severed relationships or irreparably changed the nature of these relationships. And then that gets passed. And then you, that's what prompted me to post about our grandparents and how we look at these long, decades-long relationships of our of our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And I think to myself, through a lot of research, quote, talking to people and just analysis, like there was a lot of dirt going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There was a lot of dirt going on in these relationships. And they they weren't necessarily all pure love. A lot of these were Stockholm syndromes. You know, a lot of these women were trapped because of the times, right? Because of the, because of culture at that time, they couldn't go anywhere. You know, the men were emotionally unavailable and just doing what they wanted to. And the women were, you know, having, you know, big families, where were they going? But my father and my father's father, they never had, they never really had to look in the mirror. They never really had, not, not as far as I know, they never really had to like probably sit in their own muck because they probably did they, they are going to and they did you know live out their lives with their spouses and their spouses really never said much but my ex-wife wasn't trapped and a lot of women are trapped nowadays and i think if you're lucky you're gonna get hit with this like i was and you're gonna have to deal with it and i don't i just don't I don't know how to deal with the fact that I had the most wonderful woman in the world. And I, maybe my greatest accomplishment is how I ran our relationship into the ground, single-handedly. I don't know how to come to terms with that. I don't know how to tell myself, it's okay, move on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's okay. It was a chapter. You're not a horrible person, move on. I don't, I don't know how to do that. So that's where that came from and will continue to come from because I am always, not always trying to say sorry. And I'm, I'm not always trying to, I'm not trying to make up for it, but I'm trying to understand it. And the more I try to understand it, the more I unpack, the more I find, the more I reveal. And it's humbling. It, you know what I mean? It's shameful. Some of it is, it, it's, it's so much, there's so much shame attached to it. Like sometimes, you know, I'm not a crier. It's sometimes like, like I'll begin to tear up, you know, when I'm by myself. I don't have to like shake my head real hard and, and or turn the music on or something to, you know, fill my mind with something else. It gets, it gets to be too much. 
I hope I made sense. I, I know I read. No, you did. Mind. No, no, you did. And I, I'm, I'm looking for, because I, I feel like this is a conversation that we need to come back to. Like, I think that this is something like we cracked a really big egg. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, lot. but it's very human. And no matter the, the, the shift, the prism has multiple facets to it. I just see it being so applicable to so many people. And I, I, we kind of need to wrap it up just because I know I have a, a certain amount of time, but, um, what I guess I would say is, or ask is, in this four years of it being a, a journey, has it been an unwinding where you've seen progression or are you circling the same stuff? Well, what I have, what's tangible for me is the relationship that I have with my ex-wife. Okay. It was not. It was not possible for me to have a friendship with her prior. So whatever's going on in my head aside, because it probably is cyclical, <laughs> right? It probably is, depending on outside uh, factors, what have you. But what I will say is she's the most amazing woman and owes me nothing yet. We have a friendship. We live down the street from each other, right? Like she actually bought a home. Like I can throw a rock on a good day if my shoulders loose. I could throw a rock that would land in her driveway. Um, we have a really workable friendship. I don't say good because she's she has short patience with me. Um, sometimes I'll talk to her about something and she'll go on for five minutes about something from our marriage <laughs> and I just I just like I bought a phone mattress recently right I just bought a phone mattress and she was shocked at how cheap it was and I said well that's the same price I paid for the phone mattress we slept on for years like was that uncomfortable well I don't know I never got good sleep you had the tv on all night every night <laughs> five for five minutes she went on I never got good sleep never child I'm like okay and I just let her, right? I just let her. I just, because obviously that is something very vivid to her. And I mean, I guess I could take a fit or shut it down or I don't know, but no, I did do that. And it, she never really said much then, but obviously it's, it's part of it. Um, so we have a really workable friendship. And I work hard to allow that. So it's been worth it. Right, like I don't know how else to say it. It's been working, and and I would say, um, I I don't know again that forgiveness is real it, conceptually. Like I get the definition, but I don't know that apply like that it's applicable all the time. And I would say perhaps people instead of being so easy on themselves, like there's got to be, there's got to be a, a space, right? There's got to be a, a happy medium, but probably more to the right. To beat yourself up every day, probably not that healthy. But to be really easy on yourself, that's what we've been doing. That God is, that's, that's, that's our tendency, right? That's how we get ourselves into these situations. 
So I don't know that I really want to forgive myself per se. We're gonna have to figure out another term, but I don't know if it's forgiveness. I think maybe if we look at this COVID era that we're in, I think as we were talking a little bit earlier, I think there's some to be gleaned from what COVID specifically has reminded us of. Mm. That A, life is tenuous, right? We should all know that. But like I was telling you about the fact that COVID had people knowing when they were going to die, like darn near pinpointing. And that's something we don't ever get. I think, and I want you to really, really try to understand what I'm telling you. I think what's applicable is that in the end, nothing matters. So even though, so in other words, let's say I, if, if given everything I just told you, let's say I was in the hospital and I was pending death, anything that I was worried about, guilty about, feeling deep regret about, the, I guess the biggest thing that would matter, quote unquote, is that I had acknowledged it to the person that I felt it about, right? But any other feelings beyond that would be irrelevant. So I guess I try to apply that. Like I have done, in a, or at least I'm attempting to do the noble thing for lack of a better term, right? And that matters. But that after that, everything that I'm doing, you know, we're just getting up every day and trying to throw things against the wall, right? See what sticks, right? Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. I finally figured that out. So I don't, I, I have, I take a little solace in that. And that, that's what I think my big takeaway. I'm not so so motivated to necessarily forgive myself because I think this might be a lifelong journey that I'm on, right? Any other relationships that I enter, I'm, I better be asking these questions so that I don't repeat this pattern. Just like any other addiction, like it can be really easy to blindly fall back into this pattern before I know it, if I'm not constantly on myself, checking myself. So that's, that's the way I went, you know, I would I would say probably yes. It's repeating itself, but it's repeating itself for a good reason, right? Like I, I use that. I don't look at it as like, oh, I can't make it stop. Instead of making it stop, I'm going to use it to my advantage. Well, I think that's your that's your intelligence showing again, and I do have some feelings about forgiveness. But as I listen to you, I would not get it in the ring with you. Um, and toss those out until I think about them a little bit more, um, because, uh, because I know you <laughs> enough now, but I, I know our time is drawing nigh. I said that the other day out loud and I thought it sounded so Shakespearean or biblical, but wow, nobody like said it. that since 1830. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I must have you back on. And they, they think that I'm or you said that I'm funny now people think that I'm just this cornball like over no they know you're funny they know you're funny no no they know you're funny you have that rhythm about you but you're also like I said is someone who has that smart humor um it has a, a lot more going on with it so um I want you back we to pick up where we've left off a little bit, give me a chance to 
pull my thoughts together about the idea of forgiveness. Um, but then also just to explore some other things I wanted to talk, uh, well, just other things. There's things that you've shared that have been on my heart that I've thought about. Um, and this was just a big one. So, uh, and I know that it's human. It's so human. So I know that everyone who's listening is resonating, whether they have a scenario that mirrors that or not, they're resonating. And that's the stuff that I think I'm here for. And I just appreciate you being here with me today. Um, so, so that I can get it said while it's on tape, I want, I'm forcing you in some way to at least agree with your fingers crossed behind your back. I don't care that you'll agree to come back. Awesome. That you'll agree to come back. No, to my podcast. I mean, Tara, Tara, trust me. I'm going to text you every week and ask you <laughs> this week. Is it this Sunday? Of course I'll come back. All right, kiddo. Well, don't go anywhere. I want to say goodbye to you just uh, off uh, the record button, but you've been a joy and I'm sure like you have stirred the pot in my brain today um, that that's happening and that makes life vivid and exciting. And I, I hesitate in saying this because I know that what's come up doesn't seem to match, but it's, it's, it's a comfort too. Um, I feel like I seek comfort a lot in ways that aren't helpful and, but totally human, but there's a comfort in coming together and saying, telling the truth. Um, that that's old adage, comfort. huh? That's the, that's the ultimate comfort. It's I, the it's other, because the old adage, the tr uh, truth will set you free. It is, yeah. it is so true. And there's, there is great comfort there. So I thank you. Um, I'm so glad Facebook existed when it did for this reason significantly, but my friend, don't go anywhere. I'm going to say goodbye right now, knowing that I'm going to have you back and you have been a blessing and a joy. Thank you. I promise I am going to get back to Chaz about my thoughts on forgiveness I, as you know, he, as you can tell, he's a, he's a smart dude, um, and has some very, um, clear opinions. And though mine is clear, I just want to make sure that I express it well. So you can tune in for, um, further discussion on this idea of forgiving ourselves. Also, Tune in for more talk about our friendship and for being funny and for even the word fear that was thrown around in there a little bit, um, but mostly head back here to listen to us when we break down this idea of forgiveness again further. Uh, I This is the uh, last day of November and a new month is knocking at our door and uh, I'll just say one more time, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for taking this journey on the Terry Summers podcast um, over a year and a half now. Uh, I think it's 76 episodes. 
episodes, maybe. So um, that is something. And you are, um, you were part of that. And you were really the reason that I do this. I love the fact that you're on the other end there. Part of me really does wish I was sitting there with you. Even if I don't know you well, um, or at all, I have that thing about wanting to know people and sit with people and um, converse with them. So this is really the next best thing. Thank you so much. I really do uh, feel grateful and very thankful. And this month that we've iconically earmarked as a Thanksgiving month, um, I just wanted to make sure that I ended this episode by saying that. I look forward to um, to hanging with y'all next week. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.